The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. It's time for a special SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. Here is your big, bald, beautiful host, RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. The final day has arrived. That's right. We have survived. They haven't kicked us out of the facility yet. So we're doing something right, I do believe. (laughs) It's been a tremendous week so far. On the docket today, they're going to close out shop here for media days, Auburn, Tennessee, and then Texas A&M. And, of course, Jimbo Fisher will be closing things out. We'll see how he handles the questions about his uh, another star wide receiver having to be kicked off the team. We'll get to that on today's episode of RP3 and Company, of course, our coverage here from the College Football Hall of Fame all week has been brought to you by Borderline Furniture with locations in Crowley, Jennings, Marksville. Look, this month they have a special on their power recliner, which is only $6.99. You can stop by any one of their showrooms and get your hands on that. It's a great addition to your man cave. That way you can watch football in the fall in style and comfort. They're also your lift chair Superstore and your local Tempur-Pedic dealer. So thanks to Borderline Furniture for serving as a sponsor for our SEC Media Days coverage. Also thanks to Acadiana Bar and Grill who have served as a sponsor this week for RP3 and Company. We got a great show lined up for you today, jam-packed as we close out Media Day coverage. Coming up today at 7.15. Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl Executive Director, will be joining us talking about the growth of that game, how it's gone from an all-star game to now something a little bit more. And he'll give his evaluation about quarterbacks and prospects in the SEC for this season. That'll be coming up at 7.15, at 7.30. I caught up yesterday with a coaching legend, a man who was the SEC Coach of the Year, the ACC Coach of the Year, the Bobby Dowd Coach of the Year, a man who coached Peyton Manning and Eli Manning both, David Cutcliffe. We'll have an interview with him coming up. He has a new role that he's been in now for a few months. He is a special assistant to the SEC Commissioner, Greg Sankey. So we'll catch up with Coach Cutcliffe at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, our good friend from the Baton Rouge Advocate, who's been here all week as well, the award-winning columnist Scott Ravelay will share his thoughts on this year's Media Day, what has stood out to him, what's been curious, and more. Then at 8.15, I told you we were jam-packed, closing strong here, catching up with the college football playoff executive director, the man in charge of the playoff, 
Bill Hancock will join us. And then we'll close out our coverage with our good friend from Saturday Down South, Connor O'Gear. He'll get his final thoughts on this year's media days, what has stood out to him, players, sound bites, and everything else. So jam-packed show for you to close out our coverage here from SEC Media Days in downtown Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. We'd love to hear from you. Not to worry. Give us a holler. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we're going to hear from Kirby Smart, Sam Pittman, and, of course, former Raging Cajun head coach Billy Napier. They were all on stage yesterday for Media Days. We'll play that for you coming up. So, day three, tons of great stuff. Kirby had good things to say. Kept sending the message for him and his team. You're defending national champions. Complacency. Don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about being complacent. You don't have to worry about us being complacent. He said it multiple times while he was standing on stage addressing the media. So much turnover for that team. Yes, they bring back their clutch big-game quarterback who came out of nowhere, Stinson Bennett. Oddly enough, Stinson Bennett almost came to the University of Louisiana. Billy Napier recruited him and had him an offer, and he was supposed to come. Instead, he went back to Georgia as a walk-on, and then the rest is history. So Kirby's big message was not to be complacent, that they're still going to work, get after it. And to be perfectly frank with you, when you look at their schedule, it kind of favors Georgia. All things considered, when you look at preseason schedules, if you will, you don't know what a team's going to bring to the table. You don't know how injuries are going to impact a team. You don't know how new players are going to impact a team either, whether or not they rise or they fall once they get under the big lights of playing big boy football in the SEC. But you have to like Georgia's chances to repeat as SEC East champions at least and have a chance to get back to the college football playoff. Kirby still has recruited like a madman. So, yes, he loses a ton to the NFL, particularly on the defensive side of the football where they were holding opponents to 10.2 points per game. That's it. 10.2 per game, the lowest in a decade. So they're going to have to replace a lot, but he's built that program. It doesn't feel like Georgia's going to be a one-and-done here. It feels like Kirby has put together his own process, if you will, that he learned under his former longtime head coach, Nick Saban, and he's implemented that with the Bulldogs. They may take a dip this year. They may not be as dominant as they were, but Georgia's still going to be really, really, really good. Sam Pittman also took to the stage for Arkansas. He actually led off the coverage yesterday. Man, you can see why the kids up in Fayetteville play hard for him. Old O-lineman, old O-line coach. Kind of has that mentality. Very blue-collar. Very plain-spoken. Kind of makes fun of himself. Cracks some jokes here and there. But you can tell that he gets those guys fired up. 
And on paper, you wonder, yes, they have Jefferson at quarterback, and he can do multiple things, both with his arm and with his legs. Do they have enough skill position guys around him? That's the big question mark. And once again, Arkansas has an absolutely brutal schedule. One of the toughest in the country, yet again. Will they maybe take a step back? Some people here believe that Arkansas could take a step back. But once you get past Alabama, really, the rest of the SEC West seems to me like it's going to be an absolute dogfight. There's not that much difference separating, say, Ole Miss, Arkansas, between like LSU, Auburn, and Mississippi State. There just isn't. It feels like they're all kind of very close and that they're going to beat up on each other. But impressed. First time I've seen Sam Pittman live in person. Can't help to think how well he does getting his guys fired up. You can see that. He's the type of coach that I would like to play for. And you can tell how that's making a difference with the kids there. Because remember, Arkansas was in the dumps when he took it over. They had been cycled down a couple of times. He's done a miraculous job up in Fayetteville. So Arkansas, Georgia were your highlights in the morning. And then, of course, our old friend, Billy Napier, took the stage to kick off the afternoon slate at SEC Media Days yesterday. Sounded like the same old Billy to me. He did professional, concise, had his message, delivered it, did get a little emotional talking about his dad. He was asked about that, gave some frank answers about what he learned from Saban, what he learned from other coaches throughout the way, about the challenges of being at Florida, what they have to do. It was vintage Billy up on the stage yesterday and just seemed perfectly suited for that. And, I, and I've said this over and over again. If the Gator fans, if the Gator boosters can just be patient. Dan Mullen did not recruit. Dan Mullen admitted as much that he didn't even bother or focus on recruiting during the season. Well, this is modern football. You have to be recruiting 24-7, 365. If you don't, you're going to get left behind. So even though there's some pieces there, this is going to be a big-time transition year. He's going to take time to have to put in his process, what the way he wants to do things, getting the guys to fully buy in. He talked a little bit about that yesterday as well. So I think you're going to see Florida maybe struggle early on, but as the season progresses, just like they did when he was with the Raging Cajuns that first year, as the season progresses, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Florida finish strong and start building some momentum towards next season. And then things closed out with Mark Stoops and the Kentucky Wildcats. And here's the crazy thing about Kentucky. We had Ryan McGee on the show yesterday, and he and I spoke about that. We're both the same age. Now we're dealing with a Kentucky team that – 
just kind of routinely wins 10 games. That's what they do. They win 10 games. Stoops has that team playing stellar defense. They have a kid now that can sling it at the quarterback position. They have some pieces when we're filling out our ballots for the all-SEC preseason teams. Guys at wide receiver, guys at running back. They have the guys. Can Kentucky have a more dynamic offense and take that step? Can they possibly upset Georgia along the way? I don't think they can win the East. I still think that's Georgia's to lose. But Kentucky may be the second or third best team, maybe the third best team in the SEC this year. Once again, today we're going to close out shop. It's going to start with Auburn, with the man who <laughs> uh, is on the hot seat. Auburn's administration is a bit of a mess. Their leadership is a bit of a mess. Their head coach had a messy offseason off the field. He's on the hot seat, so it will be interesting to see how that goes this morning. And then that will be followed by Tennessee and then, of course, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. But the big story coming out yesterday here in Atlanta was when we started finding out during coaches speaking on the podium about the news that there'll be one less person in attendance for SEC Media Day. And that was the young man from Texas A&M, senior wide receiver Aeneas Smith was arrested early Wednesday by campus police on charges of driving while intoxicated, unlawful carrying of a weapon, and marijuana possession. Per the athletic department, he has now since been suspended and will not be coming to SEC Media Days on Thursday. He was one of the three players that Jimbo Fisher had selected to represent the team and school at SEC Media Days. And that's the second wide receiver that they've had to part ways with this offseason for things off the field. Their wide receiving core is already thin and depleted as it is, and the guy that led them in receptions and touchdowns last year at that position is right now as it stands no longer on the team. So that'll make things interesting when Jimbo takes to the stage later today. We've got to take a timeout, but before we do so, we've got to unveil our poll question of the day. Our last one while we're here in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. That's an important one. It could be a one that will be divisive in your household. Should RP3 eat at the Chick-fil-A connected to the Hall of Fame one more time? There you go. How many times have I already done it? It's been multiple. I don't want to divulge too much information here. Don't want to embarrass myself too much. But last day here in Atlanta, should I go and eat the delicious Chick-fil-A connected to the College Football Hall of Fame one more time? One more time. Your options. Yes, it's right there. I mean, it's right there. They literally have a window connected to the College Football Hall of Fame inside the Hall of Fame where you can go, go and pick up your order. They're not doing it now because 
we're having SEC media days, but you ever come to the College Football Hall of Fame in the future, you can just simply pick up your order. Yes, it's right there as an option. Yes, only with a gift card. Not to worry. I picked up another one of those bad boys yesterday. Or no, try something else. That's our poll question of the day. Should RP3 eat at the Chick-fil-A connected to the Hall of Fame? One more time, go vote on that. Leave your comments. We're having fun with our poll question of the day as we wrap up our coverage here in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll hear from Kirby Smart. We'll hear from Sam Pittman. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to know what happened today at the circus that is the SEC Media Days in Atlanta? Not to worry. RP3 has you covered. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company. Presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, You could score yourself a brand-new Apple Watch by simply sending a text message. That's right. It's that easy. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with a brand-new Apple Watch. All you have to do to win is join our new text club. Simply text GAME to 337-283-8100. That's GAME to 337-283-8100. Once you join, you'll be eligible to win an Apple Watch brand new. That's right. Plus, you'll have tons of chances to score other great prizes like Houston Astros tickets, concert tickets, station swag, and more. It's the game's brand new text club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. We're broadcasting live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame here for the fourth and final day of SEC Media Days. It was a busy day yesterday. Arkansas, Georgia, Florida, and Kentucky all got on stage. And it's time now for us to hear from a few of those head coaches and what they had to say. And Sam Pittman was first up, the Arkansas head coach. He's done such a nice job of turning things around up there in Fayetteville. And he was asked, look, now that you've kind of broken through, you, you've started to have some success. Someone brought up how good they were against the spread since he's been there. How do you maintain that while also trying to sneak up on opponents like they've done the last couple of years? Most any team in our league, it's hard to con- stay consistent with nine wins, you know. I'm not for sure we snuck up on anybody. You know, we went to Georgia. They beat us 37 to nothing. They they kind of were ready for us. Uh, you know, I think you just go compete. And I think in this league, I think everybody knows that better play well no matter who and it, it doesn't matter I remember when when we were at Georgia we were playing some of the other teams that may not be quite as good as we were at the time and you know we're going in half and you're either behind or it's a close game yes to answer your question it's hard and it's hard to go from six wins to nine it's certainly harder to go from nine each win you go up is is harder and it's harder to maintain and uh, 
especially in the SEC, and, and no disrespect to the East, especially in the SEC West. And then they had the college football playoff team and a BYU, who's 21-4 and four over the last two years and been waiting to the top 20. You got yourself a schedule. <laughs> so, listen, I love it at Arkansas. I'm not complaining one bit about it. We're the University of Arkansas. We'll go compete. But it's tough. It's tough, and that schedule is also pretty brutal, one of the toughest in the conference and in the country this year for the Razorbacks. And, uh, you know, they also have a big question mark. Yes, they have Jefferson back to run the offense, great dual-threat quarterback. We expect him to maybe take a step in his development this season, but he's going to have to do so without Traylon Burks, one of the best weapons Arkansas's had in a long time. And he was asked, you know, how do you step up? How does this team step up and replace him? Going by a little bit by committee. Uh, you know, we obviously went and got Jaden Hazelwood out of Oklahoma, and, or he transferred over, however you say it. And uh, Matt Landers is another portal guy. And then Keetron Jackson is a guy that's got to step up. Warren Thompson has to, you know. We've got some young guys, uh, Jaden Wilson, Bryce Stevens. Those are probably our top six guys, if I'm not forgetting somebody. But I think we got to kind of do it more by committee. And I'm not saying one of those guys can't have a breakout season. I'm not saying that. But I think to replace a Burks, you got to do it with more than one guy. Pittman also took time out to give praise, if you will, and speak highly of two men on LSU staff, the head man in charge, Brian Kelly, as well as Brad Davis, who was interim head coach a year ago and the only coach on staff that Brian Kelly retained. And this is what Coach Pittman had to say about them. Brad Davis, you know, I recruited him out of high school to Oklahoma, and, and he was my grad assistant in North Carolina, and obviously he was the offensive line coach at Arkansas and elected to go back home. Um, but he's a wonderful man, a wonderful family, wonderful football coach. So I had talked to Coach Kelly about Brad, and he had obviously said he was had kept him. That's a, quite a compliment from Coach Kelly. Coach Kelly's a, a great coach. I really have enjoyed getting to know him. I would consider him a friend of mine. For him to say that would meant, meant a lot to me, and I appreciated it. Everyone was very complimentary throughout the week about Brian Kelly and about how impressive they are, whether it's media members, lots of talk on Radio Row about that, about how they feel like he's going to be a good fit, that he's going to do good things at LSU. It's just going to take a little time. And the other coaches said nothing but nice things about him as well. And one of those was obviously Kirby Smart, who led Georgia to its first national championship in 40 years, a year ago when they beat Alabama in their rematch in the national championship game. And this is what the man in charge of the Dogs had to say about the man in charge of the Tigers. Yeah, you know, had a chance to go against Brown when he was at Notre Dame two years there at Georgia and respect the job he does. I think he's very thorough, very intelligent. He has a system that he believes in. He does a tremendous job with that. Very thorough. I mean, when we played them, in, I was at Alabama, and we played them, Notre Dame, in the national championship down in uh, Miami. I just thought it was incredible watching their season and the way he managed their team, 
just from top down organizational management, I think he's really incredible. You think all the way back to the days, I think it was Grand Valley, when he was at Grand Valley State and I was at Valdosta State, he has won. He has a system that he believes in and that's really more about how you get success. Do you believe in what you do? And he has a great system in that. Stetson Bennett is someone that Kirby Smart believes in and turned to him when the team needed him the most last season. Remember, this is a guy that was fourth string during spring football a year ago and then ends up being thrust into the starting lineup and helps lead Georgia to its first national championship in four decades. And he talked about how Stetson can be even better this coming season. Well, he can be a better leader. He can make more plays with his feet. And I think when you put someone in the role as the quarterback and they're the starter, they immediately get some credibility. He probably didn't have that credibility this time last year. He had not been put in that role. He's earned that role. He's earned the right to start. Uh, he's embraced it. He takes that responsibility head on. And he chose to come back, you know, after winning a national championship and said, I want to go do, I want to go do something special. I want to go play football. I want to enjoy the game. I think it's, uh, I think it's just kind of who he is. And the biggest thing he can do for us is make sure that he's throwing more touchdowns than he has interceptions. That's what I tell him all the time. Keep that touchdown interception ratio the right way and make plays. He's got a lot of good players around him. I told you earlier that, you know, a big message from Kirby when he was on stage was about how his Bulldog team was not going to be complacent. Yeah, they're the defending national champs. Yes, you know, they're on cloud nine, so to speak, but they're working. They're not going to be complacent. He kept bringing that point up over and over again. And he said, you know, he was asked, how do you make sure you keep yourself your staff, your team hungry. How do you keep that mentality? You don't change. You don't change who you are. You don't change the way you go about things. You know, there's, there's no stone left unturned. When you're the leader of the organization, you're trying to always be relevant. You're trying to stay on top of things. You're trying to monitor things. You're looking for a better way to do things. You know, I was very fortunate to work for one of the best in the business at doing it after winning one, and uh, a lot of those same habits we had already created. So the question and narrative is, you just won one, you know, how, how things change. Well, we had five straight years of finishing in the top seven. Those were pretty good years. We had to, we had to come back after those good years. We lost good players those years. Um, so I'm looking at it as we're going to continue to do the same things we do, but how do we refine the process? How do we do the process better this time than we did last time? That's what we're trying to do. That's why I say, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, you know, Kirby finally won one. Is Georgia going to take a step back? No, I, I, he spent way too much time under Saban learning how to do his process. And plus, he is a Georgia guy, right? He played there. He loves that university. He wants Georgia to be at the top of the mountain and be in contention year in, year out. He's not happy. You didn't see Kirby Smart take victory laps, too many victory laps, like others have done that have won national championships, and then they lose their team a couple of years later, like Ed Orgeron did. Kirby's not built that way. That's not his personality. That's just not who he is. So I'd fully expect the dogs to be in contention for years to come, not only because Kirby's there, how they set up their process, but also how they recruit, and they recruit their tails off. we got to take a timeout. 
When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to hear from head coach Billy Napier. He took to the podium yesterday afternoon. We'll have to uh, find out what the former Raging Cajun head man in charge had to say for himself. That's all coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to head back out to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta for the morning show that just means more. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Portalon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You know what? Great four days here in Atlanta. We're wrapping things up here for SEC Media Days. But guess what? We're going to be on the road yet again next week as we head over to New Orleans for Sunbelt Media Days. That's right. It's expanded to being a two-day affair down there in the Big Easy with the conference adding multiple teams. You got to make sure to tune in on Tuesday and Wednesday for RP3 and Company. Footnotes and Crunch Time, all three shows will be broadcasting live from New Orleans for the games live from Sunbelt Media Day coverage presented by Next Home Cutting Edge Realty and The Wetlands. Tune in for the takeover of the Big Easy right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Talking season continues as we head to New Orleans next week. Speaking of back home, Billy Napier took to the stage yesterday in the afternoon to kick off the afternoon slate for day three of the SEC Media Days. Of course, Billy spent four tremendous seasons there in Lafayette coaching the Raging Cajuns, leading them to unprecedented success. And he was able to parlay that into getting the Florida Gators head coaching job. And Billy touched on a slew of different things, talked a lot about his process, talked a lot about, you know, turning things around, uh, culture there in Gainesville and I said it before if the Florida fans are patient he will pay off their patience in a big way but it's going to take some time Dan Mullen did not recruit just ignored recruiting altogether and even admitted to so wasn't concerned about recruiting you have to recruit and you definitely got to recruit in this era of NCAA transfer portal and NIL but Napier knows how important recruiting is, <coughs> and he's already started that. The first cycle, look, anytime you take the job, that first recruiting class is usually not spectacular because you've just taken the job, you're putting together your staff, so forth and so forth. But you already see him making strides in the second cycle coming up for 2023. And he was asked a slew of different uh, questions and he was asked, you know, what are some of the implementations that he's putting in right now as a first-year head coach for the Florida Gators? Well, I think the the big thing here is that you know the game's about the players, and uh, we want to create an organization uh, that has life-changing impact on the players. Right? We've uh, put together a great infrastructure. Uh, that's all about serving the players. We're trying to improve the player experience. We want to, uh, we firmly believe that better people make better football players. We're committed to improving their character. We're going to prioritize their education. 
uh, we're going to teach football at a high level. And I think uh, we inherited uh, the situation that we have, and we're excited about uh, the administration, the resources that they provided. So ultimately, the game's about the players, and everything that we do is to serve the players, position them for success within the game, but also when the game's over one day. And that's really the message that he's always had. That's the message that we heard for the last four seasons in Lafayette when he's in, in charge of the Raging Cajun. So he's just taking that same process, that same mentality, that same approach, and just using it at a bigger school in a bigger conference. Great four-year stretch there in Lafayette with the Raging Cajuns. Unprecedented success, sharing a conference championship, then winning the championship outright. Records for wins in a regular season, records for wins in a season period. Rewrote a slew of record books there for the Raging Cajun football program. And he was asked yesterday, you know, what were his biggest takeaways from his four years in Lafayette when he was a first-time head coach? Well, I think the first thing is um, you get put in these leadership opportunities, you quickly realize how important uh, the people that you surround yourself with are. You know, and I think uh, we had success in Louisiana because we had an unbelievable staff and we had a great group of players. And then I think time, time is of the essence, right? And what you do with your time, how you allocate your time, not only with your staff and team, but also with your family, right? So unbelievable experience. And I thought we got a little bit better each year. I wouldn't be prepared for this job without it, that experience. And the people in Lafayette shaped me, made me better. I'm thankful for my time there. You tell you got a, a, a little emotional there talking about his time and about the people uh, there uh, in Louisiana back home from where we're at. So you can tell it meant a lot to him. And remember, Billy turned down other opportunities, but when Florida came calling, it was too good of a opportunity to pass up. And look, it, it, Billy's learned a little bit of everything throughout his career, right? He has had stops uh, working for Dabo Sweeney in Clemson, and that didn't work out. Uh, they let him go. He worked for Nick Saban not once but twice at Alabama, part of national championship teams. He's worked at South Carolina State, uh, worked in, you know, for an HBCU. So he has been a little bit everywhere, and he's picked up something along the way. And he talked about just how fortunate he's been to be part of every level of college football from playing to coaching. You know, it's exciting to be a part of this league. I've been fortunate in my career to be in the ACC, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the Sunbelt Conference, uh, the MEAC Conference, and I played FCS level football in the old Southern Conference. You know, this is the SEC. It is the league. Uh, quality personnel, quality coaching, the footprint, the passion. You know, it is the standard. It sets the bar. Uh, there's so, mo so much momentum, the credibility, uh, and the stability. One of the greatest slogans of all time is it just means more, right? And I think that explains it uh, very well. It just means more. We heard that a lot. A lot of people love that saying. What was interesting, uh, something that came out, is that we find out that, you know, Stinson, the national championship winning quarterback, for the Georgia Bulldogs was supposed to be a raging Cajun. Billy had recruited him out of JUCO, but at the last minute, since it decided to go back to Georgia and to play there. And, 
And Napier talked about Georgia's head coach, a man that he was on staff with at Alabama, and the former uh, quarterback that he tried to make a raging Cajun. Yeah, nothing but respect for Kirby. I mean, the guy's an unbelievable uh, football coach leader. He's a fantastic person, unbelievable competitor. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the first time I saw him was at our first SEC meeting. I told him, I said, congratulations, you know, because, I mean, I know what goes into that, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm proud of the guy, you know, just to be quite honest. I mean, he's, he's done it, and he's done it the right way. Uh, he's going to be great to compete against him. You know, I think um, Stetson is uh, – it's pretty awesome to turn the TV on and see that guy playing quarterback for the dogs. You know, he um, – you know, he's committed to the University of Louisiana, um, you know, got an opportunity to go back and play, um, had the confidence. I mean, you think about uh, his character and his confidence and his abilities. Um, fantastic player and a great leader. Uh, certainly, I can see why Georgia, you know, took him. Yeah, and it paid uh, paid off in a big way for the dogs. And of course, you know the biggest influence, one of the biggest influences in Billy's life was his uh, late father. And he got a little emotional talking about that and talking about what he took away from his dad's career as a as a longtime high school football coach and how he's taken those lessons and that wisdom and made it his own for his own career. Coach, we'll go over here to our right, about three rows back on the aisle. Coach Stephen Hargis from the Times Free Press in Chattanooga. Just wondering what you learned from watching your dad's career, how he interacted with his players, his staff, and specifically how he continued to coach throughout his illness. You're trying to get me here today. Um, Dad showed, I think sometimes when you adver adversity strikes, you can choose character or you can choose to compromise, right? Dad did an unbelievable job. Every day he chose character. He relied on his foundation, which was his faith. He was a great example to a lot of people. Even to this day, it's impacted me and a lot of other people too. Thanks for the question. Yeah, it, it was uh, a great question there. And followed up, uh, I asked him about his time in Lafayette. He got a little emotional about that. And then the gentleman from Chattanooga asked him about his dad and uh, Billy uh, <laughs> got really emotional there on, on stage. So good first day there for Coach Napier. Nothing surprised me from what he said. It's the same message, same tone that we heard for the last four years in Lafayette. And it's going to take him some time, right? Dan Mullen did not recruit. <laughs> he, he ignored recruiting altogether. So Billy's going to have to build that thing from scratch, so to speak. Now, he did so with uh, a lot of different coaches. He brought some coaches with him and uh, even assistance in the athletic department with him to Florida, helped change the culture, helped to build that up, got some players like Montrell Johnson and Osiris Torrance to come with him as well. It's going to take him some time. It's going to be a challenge, but I think Billy Napier's cut out. I think he's the right man for the job, so to speak, there in Gainesville. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. We'll wrap up our number one, our final day here on Radio Row for SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors for making that happen. Borderline Furniture with locations in Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville. 
the power recliner is on sale this month for $6.99. A great addition to your man cave. They're also your lift chair superstore and your local Tempur-Pedic dealer. And we also need to thank Acadiana Bar and Grill, one of the best nightlife spots in Acadiana for also serving as a sponsor this week for RP3 and company. we got to take a timeout. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 may be in Atlanta, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear from you. Call the big, ball, beautiful one on the game hotline at 337-706-0111 or comment on our Facebook page. Back to the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. Hour number one has come to a close here on RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. Final day of Media Days has arrived once again. Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A&M are going to close things out for us here in Atlanta. Time to update that poll question of the day that we unveiled earlier on today's show. Should yours truly... Eat at the Chick-fil-A connected to the Hall of Fame one more time. Once again, have I ate at the Chick-fil-A multiple times this week, the one that's connected right to the Hall of Fame and has an actual drive-up window that's connected inside of the Hall of Fame? Yes. I'm not going to tell you how many times that is. That would be embarrassing. But my question is, should yours truly eat at the Chick-fil-A once again connected to the Hall of Fame one more time? It's our last day here. Yes, it's right there. Yes, only with a gift card. Or no, try something else. Right now, 61% of you say, yes, it's right there. You're picking up what I'm putting down. I love it. 28% say, no, try something else. And 11% of you say, yes, only with a gift card. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming, leaving them on Facebook and Twitter as well. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two. Coming up right around the bend, we're going to hear from some LSU players from earlier this week. We've been saving that for you. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. SEC, SEC, SEC. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. It's time for a special SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. Here is your big, bald, beautiful host, RP3. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Radio Row here at SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. Hour number two of our final show here in Atlanta kicks off right now. Coming up this hour, whew, we got a jam-packed hour for you. It's a good one, though, I'm telling you. Coming up at 7.15 in about 15 minutes from right now, Jim Nagy. The executive director of the Senior Bowl is going to join us talking about 
the evaluation process, how NIL, how NCAA Transfer Portal is affecting their process of putting on the Senior Bowl, the, the premier all-star game event to get ready for the NFL. We'll talk about that with Jim coming up in about 15 minutes. And then at 7.30, you're not going to want to miss this, sat down yesterday and with a coaching legend, the man who won the Brawls Award for Best Assistant Coach in College Football, helped Tennessee win a national championship. He coached Peyton Manning. He coached Eli Manning. He was a head coach at Ole Miss and Duke, won Coach of the Year honors in the ACC, the SEC, and nationally. David Cutcliffe will be joining us. Great conversation about quarterback, about a quarterback evaluation, which I found very interesting, and just about what the Mannings have meant to him and what the SEC means to him. Great conversation with Coach Cliff. That'll be coming up in about a half an hour from right now. Fourth day is here once again. Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A&M are going to bring us home here in Atlanta. They're going to close out shop. Good last day. Sometimes at SEC Media Days, the final day is a bit of a whimper. And they've done a better job of making sure that you have some stars, if you will, to close out the final day to keep more members of Radio Row and keep more media members in town for that final day. And it's going to be interesting with Jimbo Fisher, that's for sure, because they've had to suspend now their second wide receiver this offseason. Of course, Smith, the latest one, led the team in receiving yards and touchdowns last year. He was arrested by campus police yesterday morning. DWI, marijuana possession, illegal firearm possession. So now he's been suspended from the team indefinitely. And their wide receiving core was already thin to begin with. So what are they going to do there, plus all the controversy in the offseason? So should be interesting to hear what Jimbo Fisher has to say later on today when he's on the stage here at SEC Media Days. Hour number one, we heard from Arkansas coach Sam Pittman. We also heard from Kirby Smart, the defending national championship Georgia Bulldogs, and former Raging Cajun head football coach Billy Napier as well who's now in charge of the Florida Gators. But earlier this week, we were able to catch up with a couple of the LSU stars, and we're going to play that for you. Now, linebacker Mike Jones, remember, he is still waiting to have kind of that breakthrough season. He showed strides last year. The former Clemson Tiger who transferred into LSU took some strides last year, but expectations are high for him this season, so much so that Brian Kelly actually brought him along to media days. And which I find immensely interesting. So he could be one of the anchors on that side of the football. And he was asked by members of the media, you know, his thoughts on his new head coach, the man from Notre Dame who's taken over the Bayou Bengals. I think, you know, when you look at LSU five, ten years down the road, a better or more perfect hire than Coach Kelly. You know, his track record it speaks for itself. You know, if you want guys that – going to win you want to be one of those consistent programs that are constantly you know at the top of college football every year you know you're going to the who else can do it better than the guys who have been doing it and you know just seeing the way that he cares himself you know his expectations you know the way that the things that he demands from us you know just their process on how to prepare and get ready for a season uh, it translates to the success you know and I, I've been around some good teams throughout my time and coach Kelly's kind of like been the thing that's made me realize that maybe all good teams do things the same 
For Jones, he's uh, making the adjustment of playing inside and going from outside backer to inside backer. And he says he's fully embraced that, and that's now his full-time job. Uh, absolutely. You know, and uh, a huge has come from Coach House, you know. Uh, but I believe I can go out and I can play at a high level, you know, really anywhere you need me to be at the field. I got a lot more reps playing inside throughout the spring. And now that's, uh, that's my job, you know. It's not like, you know, I got to learn how to do this or this is something different from me. You know, every day when I go out on that field, I, I'm expecting myself and I'm going to demand myself to execute, you know, to my coach's level every day, you know, at, at what he asked me to do. And, and that's playing inside in the box. Look, linebacker is a question mark for this team. The, the, the back seven is a question mark for the Tigers' defense this year. But if Jones can step up and kind of be an anchor there at the linebacker spot, that's going to go a long way for an improved defensive effort and performance for these Tigers for the 2022 season. And Jones was also asked, you know, what is not only the identity of himself now entering – yet another year in the program. But what's the uh, identity for the team under Brian Kelly? Uh, I would say the biggest difference with our team this year uh, defensively is, you know, we're really multiple. We've got plenty of talent. we got a lot of talent. And so, you know, we can do a lot of different things, you know, show a lot of different looks. And, you know, I know Coach House is going to have a great plan. Uh, when it comes to identity, Mike Jones, my biggest goal for this year is just to go out there and play my best football. I know if I can go execute – you know, to the level that my coach is going to have me execute, everything's going to handle itself. And for a defense, and well, for a defense first, Coach House's big thing is Tigers run. And so, you know, we're trying to get back to that LSU style of football. You know, we're going to run fast, and we're going to hit, we're going to be physical, and we're going to tackle. You know, and that's just, that's who we're going to be. That's going to be our standard, and uh, I'm sure we'll meet it. We're going to stay on the defensive side of the football because also being uh, brought to Atlanta for SEC Media Days, in addition to Mike Jones and, of course, former STM Cougar star Jack Besh, B.J. Ojolari was also brought. He's a young man that could be an all-conference player this year and a uh, NFL draft prospect. And, you know, he was asked, you know, how did he hear as a returning player about Brian Kelly being in contention for the head coaching job? And, and does he believe that the former Notre Dame coach is the man to get the job done in Baton Rouge? Yeah, so when I heard, I think it was just off social media, you know, for a long time, everybody just had their, had their guy in mind, had their, who they wanted to be the head coach. So Brian Kelly was really a, a shock to everybody. You know, nobody was really expecting him, but I trust Mr. Scott Woodward, our athletic director, and um, he believes Coach Kelly can get the job done. So as a player, I just got to follow that plan. The defensive line is going to be the strength of the defense for sure. When you got BJ back and Roy back, and it, look, you, you got some guys uh, along that defensive line that have playing experience that should be the strength of this team, especially its defense. And uh, BJ talked about the, the chemistry that's being developed across that side of the football. I'm so excited for this opportunity. We got a lot of guys that are coming back. Ali Gay, he's one of my favorites. Defensive end, great leader. We got Mason Smith, Quaylen Roy. We got great additions from the transfer portal. Kai Wingo, he's he's meshing well with all of us. And you know, Coach Kane, he does a great job just implementing his style, his style of coaching with us. And I think we mesh well as a group, and we're still creating that good D-line chemistry. Jack Besh, who we had on the show yesterday. 
uh, tapes that interview earlier in the week, the former STM Cougar and current star wide receiver. They're going to use him exclusively at wide receiver. We found that out. There's going to be no more hybrid position for Jack from tight end, wide receiver. It'll just be strictly wide out this year. So you'll have Keishon Butte, Jack Besh, and Malik Neighbors, three of the top four wide receivers for LSU, all call Acadiana home, all played their high school ball in our area, which is uh, I don't think has ever been done. But Jack was also here as well. And look, uh, he was uh, asked, you know, what's it like for him to be playing at LSU after growing up in the state? Definitely. Being from the state of Louisiana, uh, growing up an LSU fan, Saturdays were always devoted in the fall for watching LSU, whether that be in Baton Rouge or back in Lafayette, where I'm from. So, and always going up, you go look at pictures of me as a kid, I'm probably going to have one LSU shirt. And it goes the same way, like Emery, Walker, Will, uh, Mason Smith, just all those homegrown kids. It just means a little bit more whenever you're playing, you know, for LSU, being from Louisiana. Um, you know, you want to put on for your state, you want to put on for your family, your friends, and different things like that. Uh, so it's been just awesome, you know, being able to play uh, here at LSU. He was also asked about Max Johnson, who was the starting quarterback last year at LSU, but then decided to transfer out and head over to College Station to play for Jimbo Fisher. This is what Jack had to say about that. Yeah, um, you know, Max is a very talented quarterback at LSU. He obviously left to go to Texas A&M. We haven't spoken much, not because of ill will or anything like that, just because, um, you know, we've been doing our own thing. But, no, I think Max is going to do great. You know, we wish him the best of luck and, you know, hope everything goes well with him. Look, it, it, Jack took the high road there, as you expect him, if you've covered him like I have through his high school days and now at LSU, not surprising there. Wish him the best and good luck to Max Johnson. But the Max Johnson transfer thing, that's just another part of this kind of rivalry that's naturally organically happening between A&M and LSU. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that continues to develop now that Brian Kelly is in-house as the man in charge of the LSU football program. Hey, just a reminder, just a reminder, You've watched his TV specials. you listened to his podcast. Now you can see comedian Burt Kreischer live in person at the Cajun Dome on September 16th. And you can do so with a simple text message. To score tickets, join the Games Text Club by texting BERT, B-E-R-T, to 337-283-8100. That's BERT to 337-283-8100. Once you become a member, you'll be eligible to win tickets to see Burt Kreischer live at the Cajun Dome, courtesy of the Games Text Club. We got to take a timeout here on RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. When we return, Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, will be joining us. That's next, right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to head back out to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta for the morning show that just means more. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You never do 
know who you're going to run into here on Radio Row at SEC Media Days. And sure enough, ran into an old friend, and he's going to join us now here on RP3 and Company. He is an 18-year NFL scout, part of numerous, numerous Super Bowl championship winning franchises. He now is the man behind the Senior Bowl. He's the executive director, and he's led the Reese's Senior Bowl to unprecedented success in heights. Joining us now here in downtown Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame is Jim Nagy. Jim, good morning to you, brother. How are you, man? Good morning. No, it's good. It's good to be back up here. It, uh, it makes it feel a little more real, doesn't it, that football's getting closer? Uh, yeah. I kind of feel it in my own house because I've got a son who's getting ready to play high, his senior high school football. So I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel it in my house. But to get up here around, around everyone and, and seeing these college guys, it's, uh, we're here. We're getting close. You've been doing this a long time, long time as a scout. Obviously, your role with the Senior Bowl. The last 10 to 15 years, it seems like the wealth of the talent of high school players in this country have morphed, have you know transferred over into the Southeastern Conference and the ACC. Why has the South have such a stranglehold on college football? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, I would say a couple things. I mean, one, football is – I grew up in the Midwest, um, and I think in the Rust Belt states, you know, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, yep. it's very, very important up there as well. Um, but we just love our football down here in the south. These guys play – I mean, I can just speak to Mobile, Alabama. They, the guys start playing tackle at four years old. Yes. Um, so, which we can we can debate whether that's a little too young or not. Um but no, it it means everything. I think the SEC nailed it with their with their motto that it means a little more. You know, you just kind of feel it when you're down here talking to, uh, you know, I was at a quarterback thing two years ago in Santa Monica for all the top college quarterbacks, and uh, you know, it was it was Matty Corral, uh, DJ Ugalele, if I'm probably butchered that name, the Clemson guy, Bryce Young. Um, there's all these guys that were California high school quarterbacks, and I asked those guys like, why did you end up out east? And they're like, you go on a recruiting trip, and it's just different. It's just different out there. So, um, yeah, I just think there's an importance on it. I think there's, I think it's just kind of part of who we are down here. You know, as someone, I'm originally from Mobile, grew up in the South, but also spent six years in Central Illinois. And but that was during a time still where you know, we still have the Big Ten with Ohio State that's competing, but it was still very much kind of balanced. You still had. You know, the Big Ten powers, Michigan, Ohio State were always really good, you know, Notre Dame. And then you have your Southern teams. There has been a, a, a it feels like a shift in the amount of talent pool in a program like Ohio State, for example. They recruit nationwide and mm -hmm. they recruit the South as well. And they get a lot of those guys to come up and play for them. Um, let me get your thoughts on realignment. I, from someone who's with your level of experience, does it feel like we're trending towards a few super conferences? Because a lot of people are worried about that. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think uh, I think if you're an institution, you can't dig your heels in and just be beholden to tradition, right? I mean, we've had to change a lot of things at the Senior Bowl yeah. um, over the last four or five years. I mean, there's just you just got to change. It's changing times. You got to change. You got to change with it. Uh, I mean, just kind of on a personal level, like I, I was never on social media. Um, before I, you know, when I was in the NFL, never, not in a Facebook account, didn't have a Twitter account. Um, 
but it's a, been a great tool for us. It's been a great tool for us to connect with players. It helps our recruiting. It helps the visibility of the game. I mean, there's just things you got to do. So I think all these schools need to look in the mirror and, and figure out where this whole thing's going. Um, and I think, you know, you look at what happened in the Big Ten with UCLA and USC, like that doesn't make any geographic sense at all. Um, you are, you are you ready for Maryland, UCLA at 1030 at night? I'm, I will be, but those poor UCLA guys won't be. Oh, I mean, think, think about this. When I worked for the Seahawks, we always looked at uh, our, our East Coast games, right? So for us, if you were playing a 1 o'clock East Coast game, that's a, that's a 10 a.m. kick for, right. for our players' body clocks. Um, and it's one thing for a professional athlete to deal with that. Um, but for a college uh, student athlete, and again, they kick off at 11 a.m. in college football. So, I mean, you're talking about like an 8 a.m. kick for some of these West Coast kids. But, no, I think we are. I think we're heading to, to some power conference stuff. Um, I think we're just going to continue to see kind of the realignment of this thing. I think I heard one of the someone downstairs in the press conference asked Coach Saban what he thinks it's going to look like in five years. And he kind of got after the guy that asked the question because it was a hypothetical and Coach Saban doesn't like hypothetical no, questions. he does not. Um, but, it, but I do. I think, we, you know, I don't think any of us know what it's going to look like in three or four years because, um, and I'll just bring this back to going to the Pro Day in Tuscaloosa this year. Um, we had a group of NFL scouts and, and myself were assembled in a room and Coach Saban addressed everyone. And he said, he's like, fellas, the, this thing has changed more in the last 12 months and it hadn't the 30 years previous of me being associated with college football. So I don't think any of us know, but other than the fact that it's probably going to look radically different. We're talking with Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior on Radio Row at SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame. NIL is obviously here and the, the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak. When you're going through your process from the Senior Bowl's perspective, you haven't got there yet because it really hasn't gotten there, but it's going to be coming down the road. Do you see a scenario, Jim, where guys are going to be like, well, you know what, I got an NIL deal. Maybe I'm just going to sit out a whole year. I'm not going to play my last year prepared for the draft. Do you see that? Because we've seen guys opt out of bowl games. We've seen guys starting to opt out of the season during the pandemic, but I feel like we're going to start seeing more of that, and maybe NIL is going to play a role in that. I hope not. Um but, yeah, I think the pandemic proved that maybe the scene, maybe playing that year isn't all that important. Um, you look at Micah Parsons. I mean, look at, look at Micah Parsons. He opted out of Penn State. Uh, his last year he goes to the Dallas Cowboys and has one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history. Um, we had a bunch of guys in the Senior Bowl that year that – I'll just bring it to some of the small school guys that they weren't even technically opt-outs. They, opt they, their seasons were canceled. And, and they didn't have a choice. And they didn't right. have a choice in the matter. And we had guys that um, – I'll use Quinn Miners as, as an example. He was an offensive lineman from a Division three school, Wisconsin-Whitewater. He, had, he hadn't played a game in over a year. We asked him to play center during our week, which he'd never done in his life. He was a guard in college. And he came down, had a phenomenal week in Mobile, and went in the third round of the draft. I mean, he went from being a you know a seventh round pick. So, I, I don't think it affects the play all that much. Um, but I, I I don't like it. Same thing with the bowl system. Like, we're having a lot. Most the majority of our players opt out of their bowl games, and I don't love that because I grew up on the bowl system. Like some of my greatest memories are sitting around the living room with my dad and, and family yep. and watching bowl games. But um, and listen to Keith Jackson. You listen call. to Keith yeah. Jackson. That's right. Um, in the Rose Bowl. But but again, it, for these guys, like I understand why they're not doing it now, because there's so much money behind this. I mean, you see guys get hurt like 
a few years ago, a Michigan tight end, Jake Butt, blew out his knee in the Orange Bowl. And, yeah. you know, when it, so they, they can really affect, you know, where their draft stock and where they get picked. And there's just, there's just so much money in all aspects of college athletics right now, particularly football, that it's just it's going to look different. It's going to change. Let's shift the focus to the SEC. We know Bryce Young is the Heisman Trophy winner. Rightfully so, had a tremendous season. Could you make the argument that he's not even the best player on his own team that could go to Mr. Anderson on the defensive side of the football? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think that's an easy one on it, honestly. Um, yeah, I, and I've said this to some people down here. Um, one of the quarterbacks, you know, C.J. Stroud or Bryce, you know, somebody might get drafted ahead of Will Anderson because of the because of the position of need, right? Um, and somebody needing a quarterback, like let's just say, for example, Detroit has a bad year and they don't see Jared Goff as the answer and they need to move forward with another quarterback. So it could happen, but right. if whatever quarterback, if a quarterback gets taken ahead of Will Anderson, they won't be better at their position than Will as it, as it is. He is a phenomenal player. Um, I've got a, a friend of mine on the staff up in Tuscaloosa that played there and has been on the staff ever since he got done playing there. And that dates about 15 years. And I asked him, I'm like, is this the best guy you've had up here? And he's like, yes. Wow. And he, and he goes, leader and he's the most competitive kid we've had so that that kind of tells you where they see inside the building that's kind of what they see will anderson as let's look across the way georgia wins the national championship and does so in convincing fashion but they lose a lot to the draft process and some guys transfer out Uh, who do you look at when you see the bulldogs and you say hey, that's a guy that's going to come through the senior bowl. That's a guy that's going to be drafted pretty high in the next year. Uh, Nolan Smith, uh, the defensive end for one outside linebacker. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, the running back. Both those guys are really good players. Um, I was actually watching another school last night in bed after all this stuff was wrapped up. Um, And I was watching him against Georgia's defense. And, man, if you're an SEC team, you're going to – if you're an SEC player – uh, you got to be so happy all those guys are gone. I mean, <laughs> they were so fun to watch. I mean, they were just flying around, just violent, hitting people. Um, so, yeah, it's going to look – but they're going to have players. I mean, yeah. Kirby's got that thing to the point now uh, where Coach Saban has had, had it had it in, in Tuscaloosa where they're just going to keep reloading. They're going to have players. Um, they, they're going to they're gonna miss experience. Um, right. But, you know, the Jalen, Jalen Carter's coming back, Nolan Smith. Um, They've, they've got plenty. They'll, they're, they're the team to beat in the West for sure. I mean, that's or in the East, but uh, I'm not worried about Georgia. <laughs> they're going to be fine. On your evaluation process and how you look at things, who's the next best quarterback behind Bryce Young in the conference? That's a good question. Um, you know, had had an opportunity to be at the Manning camp, whatever that was, about three weeks, a month ago. Um, do such a great job so they were all down there um yeah. and hooker unfortunately wasn't able to participate he was there but he couldn't throw he was injured so i would have loved to have seen Hendon hooker but i thought will levis and anthony richardson were the two guys physically from a tools perspective um that stood out above the rest of the guys and that's just that's all that's not even sec like those were the two best guys if you're just looking at you know the physical potential of a guy those right. were the two guys that stood out but i think there's i think you know like will rogers and and i, I brought up the name Hendon hooker i think there's a lot of intrigue around what spencer rattler will look like in a new home uh so there's depth there's a lot of depth to this group but you're right they're kind of all jockeying for position behind bryce wide receivers who kind of stands out to you in the conference that you're maybe keeping an eye on or maybe someone that we should be paying attention to that we're not 
Well, you know, like Jenkins at LSU is a good player. Um, Kayshawn Butte as well. Yeah, Butte. Um, but he's he, coming off the injury. Yeah, yeah. He's an underclassman. I'm thinking senior-wise. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, brother. Uh, I know, brother. But, uh, you know, like Justin Shorter at Florida. I mean, there, there, there's always going to be wideouts in the SEC. But I think the best one's Cedric Tillman at Tennessee. You know, I, yeah. like diving into his tape. Um, actually surprised he came back for another year. Like, his tape is really good. And we've had a nice run of Tennessee receivers in the Senior Bowl. We had Juwan Jennings three years ago, and then Josh Palmer two years ago, who went in the third round. I think Juwan went in the sixth or seventh. Juwan went in the third. And then we had Bayless Jones this past year, and he went in the third. Um, and Cedric's better player than all those than all those guys. Right. He's, he's a really talented guy. Wrapping up our conversation here with Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He joins us here on Radio Row for SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, uh, we carry LSU. We're an LSU affiliate, so I've got to ask you about the Tigers. Um, it's going to be a bit of a rebuild for Brian Kelly. He's got his work cut out for him. Sure. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Jenkins. You know, LSU's known for its defense, though, and producing guys for the next level in particular. Who stands out to you as really a guy that you're hoping gets to come to the senior be, be drafted fairly highly on the defensive side of the football for the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a rebuild. You're right, but it is LSU. And they're they're going to have players. Yeah. Um, so it's a good situation that Brian Kelly's walking into. And, again, well, I looked this up yesterday. Uh, we've had 22 LSU guys in the Senior Bowl since 2017, cool. and that's the second most behind only Alabama had 23. Um, so, now we've had a nice pipeline from LSU, especially in my four years. We've had a, we've had a ton of guys come over. Um, I would say top of that list is probably Ali Gay, uh, the pass rusher. We're excited to see what, what – uh, Mike Jones Jr., who uh, you know, it sounds like talking to guys on Radio Row, he crushed it here he yesterday. Did. Um, did a really nice job with all the interviews, and I got a chance to talk to Mike for a little bit yesterday. And he was on our radar two years ago. We we had him as a junior graduate at Clemson, and if those guys graduate as juniors, they can play in the Senior Bowl. So we've been watching him at Clemson as a you know kind of a nickel, kind of an oversized nickel player there. So he's been on our radar for a while. Um, I'm looking for him to have a big year. So I, I would start with Ali Gay and Mike Jones Jr. Jim, before I let you go, uh, what's new in store in your bowl? Obviously, you guys, as soon as you put one game to bed, one year to bed, you're already working on the next year. Your staff and, and you are constantly uh, working on that. What can we expect uh, 2023? Yeah, yeah, we are. We, we usually take a couple weeks off to recharge the batteries. you got to do that. Um, but, yeah, we've been on this class since the middle of February. Um, I'm looking. I'm really excited about the quarterback class. I really am. Like I, I don't know the early narrative right now that it's going to be you know so much better than last year. But there's a lot more names. Right. You know, like last year we had Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett and Desmond Ritter. I mean, those guys were good players. Um, but I think this year beyond, like I think Will you know Will Levis is a guy we're going to want. Um, Hennon Hooker. I mean, there's some guys in the SEC that we're going to, but there's there's a middle of the pack where you've seen Joe Burrow elevate from a third or fourth round pick his you know for his senior year. We've seen Mac Jones do it. Um, so there's going to be someone in the, the pack, and there's a lot more depth in that area than in past years. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that all shakes out. Jim, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you so much. Can't wait to be back in Mobile to see the Senior Bowl and cover it. Like I've done in the past, you guys put on a great product, and it's a phenomenal what you guys have been able to do and uh, under your leadership. Thank oh, you for that, brother. Yeah, oh, thank you. No, we had, a, we had a great year, 106 guys drafted, so we just got to keep getting better. Love, <laughs> love having you back. That's Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us here on RP3 and Company for SEC Media Days. we got to take a timeout. When we come back, 
but great stuff for you here from Atlanta. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 may be in Atlanta. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear from you. Call the big, ball, beautiful one on the game hotline at 337-706-0111. Or comment on our Facebook page. Back to the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company. Presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. RP3 and company as we broadcast live from Radio Row here inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. And now we're going to be joined. Now we're going to be joined by a man who is one of the most accomplished coaches, assistant and head coaches in college football history. He's a former SEC and ACC Coach of the Year. He was also the recipient of the Bobby Dowd Coach of the Year trophy. He was also the Brawls Award winner, which goes to the best assistant coach in the country. His head coaching career consisted of two stops at Ole Miss and at Duke. He won 121 games, 7-4 and four in bowls. He also ended the 18-year bowl drought for the Duke Blue Devils, and he was on staff at Tennessee when they won the national championship under Philip Fulmer. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company Coach David Cutcliffe, who is now the special assistant to the SEC commissioner. Coach, welcome, bud. Well, thank you. It is great. I just mentioned before we came on, be down in Lake Charles. I love it. Um, Beautiful part of this country. And uh, I'm glad we're not suffering the humidity here in the College Football (laughs) Hall of Fame, though. Yes, uh, thankfully we're in a well-insulated, air-conditioned building because, as you know, it can be absolutely brutal. Uh, Let's let's start off. Tell me a little bit about your your role now with the SEC and uh, working with uh, Commissioner Sankey. When when they first called me, that was my question. Okay, what are we talking about? And and I I listened and I heard and I you know I was hopeful that. Maybe something I would be interested in, but I asked if I could fly down to Birmingham, get face-to-face with them about this, which I did, and um, really impressed with the team of people that Greg Sankey's put together around him. <clears throat> and my role is just that, football, you know, and to think like a football coach, to be a, a conduit for football coaches, to be an advocate for our coaches, to help our administrative team understand what's happening in that locker room what's happening to those players most importantly how we can approach this um at what most people see as a really challenging time in college football and it is <clears throat> so i'm i'm involved with the legislative process that is looking at ways to regulate some of the unregulated things that are occurring I'm going to stay in touch with our coaches to try to help them be successful. I'm talking to the operations people at all of the schools, and they may be the most knowledgeable people of what the day-to-day is like in college football. And and I can give some insight to Commissioner Sankey's put me on a national committee looking at some things, and in our first meeting, it was interesting because there's nobody that's ever coached football or 
had anything close to that role. And uh, they they were interested in hearing the different perspective. And so I'm hoping in some small way we can help find our footing and, and find what is the new normal and it be a good new normal. <clears throat> with, with your experience as an assistant coach to a head coach and particularly working with young men quarterbacks, how much has that position evolved, changed over the decades that you were in coaching profession? Well, quite a bit when we were all under the center, okay. Um, defenses changed offense, and that generally is how that happens. So when you're under the center with the onset of zone blitz and the speed of linebackers, the speed of play defensively, <clears throat> you couldn't protect a quarterback under the center. So you had to back up into the gun. Now, without a traditional timing, of taking a snap under the center, turning and handing it off or faking to a back gone, you had to find kind of new ways to play the position. Uh, one of the things, people went to press coverage. They were eliminating receivers, had one person extra in the box. You couldn't run the ball. So then we had to try to get our numbers right. So quarterback runs, zone reads, RPOs became a big part of what quarterbacks had to deal with. The athleticism of catching a snap without having to stare at it. Quarterback got to be a little bit of a middle infielder. I'd turn them down if, in the era of guns. If their eyes dropped to catch a snap, if they didn't have them downfield, you know, never seen a shortstop duck his head to see a ball, right? He comes across the bag, he catches it, I'm looking right at you, and you can throw it without ever batting an eye anywhere else. So nobody would know that's important. That's extremely important. Then you got to teach your center how to be accurate with a snap when you're running the ball, coming off the football hard to the right and snapping an accurate snap's hard. You've got to work at it. Um, so the whole game has transcended offensively. And then because of the complexities of the defense, guess what happened? The word called tempo. Not only did it get a defensive team tired, it made it difficult to be very versatile defensively. It's a lovely chess match between offensive and defensive minds. It really is. How much has the evolution of summer camps, in particular seven-on-seven seven football, and so many of these kids getting incorporated into that at an earlier age has helped develop quarterbacks quicker than maybe, say, 20 years ago? If, if it's being taught right, fine. That's, that's the key. Yeah, because if they're holding the ball, if they give them four seconds at these seven-on-seven seven tournaments, I'm not a fan of it. That's not real football. Now you got receivers running routes too deep. Uh, a focus of the quarterback being on on time. The uh, you know absolutely. There's Coach Stoops, who's one of my favorites. But the quarterback can't hold a ball and be successful. Correct. So I'm a proponent of it. 
But if a guy's going to be really, really good, he's got to throw the ball on time. And be real careful for you young coaches that are coaching a lot of seven-on-seven stuff that you don't let it hinder as opposed to help. It should, and it, it's, a, it's a great thing for them. But it's not real football without a pass rush. We're talking with former SEC and ACC Coach of the Year, a man who also was awarded the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award, a man who won well more than 100 games as a head coaching career. Coach David Cutcliffe joins us here on RP3 and Company as we broadcast from Radio Row for SEC Media Days here inside the College Football Hall of Fame. What's the biggest change as a coach from how you could connect and coach a kid 30 years ago compared to today? I think the delete button. <laughs> okay, you understand what I mean by that? Yes, sir. Kids can turn you off. Quickly. Quickly. So what used to be a two-hour and 15-minute or 2.30 practice shouldn't exist anymore. They're going to delete you somewhere in there, whether you know it or not. So my challenge in changing and adjusting and adapting was to convince our coaches that we could get just as many quality reps in an hour and 42 minutes if we worked more efficiently, if we organized more efficiently. I didn't want less practice reps. That's how you get better. Um, but you've got to keep it moving. You've got to be in their tempo. I mean, you've seen them play video football games. It's and, you know, it, it's just the, the nature of the beast. Trying to get young people to watch baseball today is harder. To go play golf. Golf has lost a number of players because this generation thinks that takes too long. Yep. I'm dead serious. And so I saw that early. So well before the trend became a David Cutcliffe practice, I put it in a computer and we would have our period set and we would have certain music to up tempo things but we had transitions of five seconds and it was up to the coaches so period one ended a horn sounded had some little noise five seconds later the next period started you better be cranked up and going and um i use a physics formula called P equals W over T, which is a great formula. How do you grade machinery is the power is the P. The power quotient of a machine is equal to the amount of work it can do in a given period of time. So if my hour is more effective than yours, my P is bigger. Okay? And that power, and so I just took that to heart. And every coach that's ever worked with us, they know how I feel about time. Don't waste it. It's the most precious thing we got. If you've got all of the money in the world, if you've got all the knowledge in the world when your time runs out, it's, it's gone. So understand how precious time is to this generation. So that's why I say the delete button. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it kind of leads me to my next question, Coach, is we also live in an era now where – hey, after one year, I'm going to transfer out. Yeah. I'm going to go play elsewhere. We have quarterbacks right now 
leading into the season that are on their third, fourth, sometimes fifth team in a career as a coach. Let, let's say one of these coaches currently in the conference calls you up and says, Coach, I, I, I need some advice here. How do I approach this when a guy that I think is going to be a starter or a guy that I'm grooming to be a starter for the next two, three years heads out? How do I deal with that? How, how do I combat that, so to speak? Here, I mean, the quarterback position is a little bit different because they're, 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 they become storied and historic before they ever play it down to college football. <laughs> so their parents and their advisors, are, you're not starting there as a freshman? You need to get out of there, you know, which is terrible advice. But here's what I tell coaches. This is all about building relationships, not just with them. Every player in a program is important. So think about how many college scholarship football players nobody ever knows the name of. Correct. There's only 11 players on the field at any one given time. If you don't treat everybody in that locker room with respect and build a strong relationship there, how do you expect to have a program? Those quarterbacks are friends with those guys in that class they came in with. They're friends with other people in that locker room. To build loyalty, you have to be loyal. Don't run players off that aren't good enough. It's not their fault. You can dismiss a player for bad behavior but don't run them off because they're not quite as good as you hoped they were going to be. So I do think that the only way to combat it, and you're not going to completely combat it, but the only way to combat it is those relationships. Now, if you've got, <coughs> excuse me, talk so much today I got a frog in my throat. But if you are faced with a guy that is looking for money out of the portal, or bailing out, shake his hand, pat him on the back, and tell him don't let the door hit your rear on the way out. That's okay. That's not what you're going to win with. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. So that's the way I would tell a coach to approach it. There's more to sports than the final score. There's all the arguing and finger pointing. That's where we really excel. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company here on Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. That was just a portion, if you will, of our interview with David Cutcliffe, the former ACC and SEC Coach of the Year, to check out the full one, full interview. We had plenty more to talk about, including his relationship with the Mannings and the SEC. You'll have to check that out later. We will post that on social media, the interview in its complete uh, form, all of it all together. We'll share that with you later on here on, well, once we're off the air here on RP3 and Company, producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names will share that for you. So We'll do that a little bit later. Right now, we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll update the poll question of the day and close out our number two. You're listening 
to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, welcome back to RP3 and Company, closing out our number two. Once again, you can catch the entire David Cutcliffe interview. We'll share that online later. We just covered so much great stuff with the former Duke and Ole Miss head football coach. Uh, couldn't squeeze it in, all of it on in on the air, so we'll share that with you on social later on today. Coming up, our number three, our final hour here on RP3 and Company from Radio Row at the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. We're going to be talking with Connor O'Gara at 8.30. Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff, will join us around 8.15. But we're going to kick off hour number three with my good friend, the award-winning columnist from the Baton Rouge Advocate, Scott Rabelais, will be joining us. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, Boardlawn Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill for making this happen. Hour number two in the books, hour number three, our final one of the week here in Atlanta. Coming up right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. SEC, SEC, SEC. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. It's time for a special SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. Here is your big, bald, beautiful host, RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. The final day has arrived. This is our final hour of the week as well. Up today, Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. I'm sure there will be no interesting questions asked to Jimbo Fisher today, especially after the news yesterday about yet another star wide receiver that he's had to suspend from his team. This offseason, things are, are interesting in College Station, to say the least, to talk about what he has seen, what he has heard this week, to kind of put things in perspective, is a man who's covered a ton of these events, the award-winning columnist from the Baton Rouge Advocate, our good friend Scott Rabelais. Bud, good morning to you. The final day has arrived, and it's going to end with a bang with Jimbo to close things out. Oh, yes, yes. They saved maybe the spiciest for last. Um uh, uh, you, you know, he probably was already going to get a question. Maybe this way he won't get a question about the whole Nick Saban <laughs> tiff since he's got a player who was arrested for DWI, possession of a, a weapon, and a couple of ounces of marijuana. Yeah, it's, it's not great. And that wide receiving core was already thin to begin with uh, for Jimbo. But let's, uh, let's go back to Monday. Um, you and I had conversations with a few folks last night at the media event. Uh, that was held a few blocks away from uh, the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Brian Kelly has seemingly been kind of the star of the the week. 
when it comes to coaches and how impressive he sounds and how impressed pe uh, people in the media are of the new football coach at LSU. Yeah, that's what we, one of the um, SEC staffers told us that what they were hearing was that a lot of people were, if you had to pick someone to be the most impressed with, uh, it was Brian Kelly. Now, now maybe <laughs> uncharitably we could say Les Miles and Ed Orgeron set such a low bar that, you know, it's easy for Brian Kelly to pass, to, to climb <laughs> over it. But um, it was a, uh, I, I thought he, I thought he hit the right notes in in his uh in his uh trip here to uh, SEC media days i thought he he was serious and projected uh you know confidence and and leadership but he was also self-deprecating of course naturally he got a question about the uh the the, the speech at the ohio game when he was first introduced to the, the crowd at the basketball game and you know supposedly trying to fake a southern accent i was there that night i don't i don't think i quite heard the same thing but you know Never let the facts get in the way of a good story is, is the case for a lot of people. And uh, he said, yeah, and I, my accent's from all over the place now. I was in Massachusetts and Midwest and Louisiana. So, so he was kind of, you know, able to poke a little fun at himself. So I, I, thought, he, I thought he did well. I thought he, he projected pretty much what you wanted him to project if you were an LSU fan or someone, you know, representing LSU. Did we see the most mature version of the lane train on Monday? that we've ever seen yeah it, it, it's kind of mature lane is you know, maybe a little little dry you know yeah a little yeah, bit right a little dry. he did he did sign a mustard bottle for an lsu fan in the lobby here uh yes he did yes he, he did came in. so he said he signed some golf balls you know they were throwing those things at him at the tennessee game last year but uh yeah you know his you know his lane's like 45 46 now you know maybe he's kind of maybe he's kind of growing up a little bit but uh uh, still, uh, I, I expect we'll still see some, some, some jabby tweets and comments from Lane as the season goes along. I don't think he's changed too much. We made a we had a conversation, and uh, Matt Miguez, my afternoon host, and I had a conversation that, particularly this year, uh, Saban did a very good job of making you feel like he said something to you, like he really generally answered a question with really not saying much at all. He seemed to play, kind of play it a little close to the vest, more so than normal. This time around at Media Day, would you make of the Alabama head coach? Yeah, I, w I would. I would agree with that. Uh, uh, you know, Nick. Um, he was asked a question by uh, Glenn Yobo, one of our one of our our colleagues, and uh, he is like uh, you know about expansion of the SEC and stuff like that. Well, I don't like to deal with hypotheticals. That's an old standard Nick answer. And then he kind of gave an answer. Um, Nick, uh, Nick is uh, Nick's been choosing his words carefully lately. You know, when yes, he, he came, has. When he went to the SEC spring meeting in Destin, that was right after that whole thing where he accused Jackson of cheating, basically to get their stellar recruiting class. And then Jimbo said he was a cheater and a liar, and they both get reprimanded by the commissioner, uh, which never happens. I mean, that shows you how displeased Greg Sankey was with both of them for what they did. Uh, so uh, Nick was very almost. On the defensive, uh, when he spoke to the media in Destin, and uh, I think that kind of carried over here a, a, a little bit uh, today. He's still, he's still the guy, but you know, he and he and he knows it, and everyone else knows it. But uh, you know, it's a, a little bit, a little bit chastened, I, I think, uh, by recent uh, events. We're talking with Scott Rabelais of the Baton Rouge Advocate. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Radio Row for SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame. Sam Pittman, I see why. 
guys play hard for him. He's immensely likable. You could just tell by listening to him and seeing him interact with some of his former Georgia players yesterday and how they embrace you could I, I can see why he's gotten guys to buy into what he's doing up there in Arkansas. I guess my question to you, Rab, is can they compete? Can they take that next step and actually be a contender in the SEC West right behind Alabama? Look, we have seen Arkansas at times and going way back uh, be be really great. Uh, you know, back in the 60s, they had a 22-game winning streak, and else you beat them in the Cotton Bowl, uh, in the 66 Cotton Bowl, uh, one of the greatest upsets in LSU history. Uh, they played in the game of the century against Texas in 69. They were very good under Bobby Petrino there. You remember there was that one point in the, I guess, the 07 season when you had three teams from the SEC were 1, 2, and 3 in the rankings. I think it was 07. might have been 2011. Yeah, it was 07. It was the, uh, the triple overtime. Lost yeah. by LSU. Houston Nutt was the coach. They had Darren McFadden and Peyton. Hill but there was another year guys. under Petrino where, where I think though they were one yeah. two. Th- they were yeah. they were one two three. But that was a, that was a big game. So we've seen and Arkansas has been to the championship game. They never won the SEC, but they've been to the the championship game. I still have a, have a sense that there's a, a ceiling for that program, especially when you have all the all the traditional powers in the SEC. You, you know this when with Texas and OU come, you can pretty much. They're going to do away with divisions, but you can pretty much create divisions of, of haves and have-nots, powers and, and aspiring programs. And Arkansas is not in the haves list when it, when it comes to football. Uh, you might say they are in baseball. You, might, is, you would say they are in baseball and, and basketball, but I don't think football. But I, that doesn't mean they can't be respectable, that they can't make a, a New Year's Six Bowl game, maybe make it back to the Sugar Bowl or something like right. that. Uh, so, uh, But I, I think they're a team that, uh, under Sam Pittman, they're going to give give it give you a tough time. They're going to give it their all, and and uh, they you know they're they're going to spring an upset or two. And you don't want to be that team where you know, you see the Arkansas. Oh, they go nine and three, but you don't want to be one of the nine that <laughs> that they could be. And and uh, you know it's a LSU has to go to Fayetteville this year. That's a, that's going to be a very tough game for the Tigers. Would you make of Billy Napier's first SEC media days as a head coach? Uh, I thought he I thought he was good. He uh, uh, he. Uh, He's genuine. He's clearly genuinely happy to be, you know, coaching the SEC. And why not? I mean, you know, Florida. Florida's a great job in terms of uh, the talent pool in Florida and the facilities. Once you get paid, and uh, I, I read that he's got a staff of like 60 assistants and analysts, and they're they're just moving in. Florida's uh, finally built uh, a nice football complex, uh, the, an 85 million dollar football complex just west of the stadium. So, um, I, I think he knows and realizes. I, I think he, um, you know. Probably subtly was trying to tap, tell people to tap the brakes a little bit. I don't think uh, on expectations. On expectations yeah. this yeah. year, there's clearly a, a, a wide divide between Georgia and everyone else in the in the East, and that includes Florida, that includes Tennessee. You know, I wouldn't be totally shocked if we saw Kentucky pick to finish second in the SEC West when when all the media voting. SEC East. SEC, yeah. Excuse me. When all the media voting is uh, is uh, re- revealed uh, tomorrow, so. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought he did fine, and and uh, you know he comes across as as pretty personable as well. Uh, you know, maybe Sam Pittman liked. You know, uh, he had a good answer yeah. about the buzz cut. You know, he said, yeah, I got a lot of other things to worry about than what my hair looks like. You know, so I, I bet you do. You know, trying to get this program, and Florida hasn't fallen that far. Yeah, they they went to three straight New Year's Six bowls, and uh, were in the SEC championship game under Dan Mullen last year. 
they fell off and had a year like LSU. They were six and seven. So it's not that big a deal, uh, not that big a problem at, at Florida. But like just, LSU, they have work to do. It's Get just the, the the talent because Dan Mullen, admittedly, and I, I'm still it's still bizarre to me that a man who was an assistant coach in the SEC, won a national championship, understands how important recruiting is because Urban recruits 24/7, 365. He always has. For a guy that was underneath him and understands the SEC to coach at Florida and say, I'm not really concerned about recruiting right now, when you have to be concerned about recruiting all year long, I think that was Mullen's probably hugest misstep that he just, oh, it'll just take care of itself. You can't just depend on when the season's over to go recruit guys anymore. That's not how it works. And I was surprised by Mullen not being able to kind of adjust to that. Uh, Dan's... uh a smart guy, but he, he kind of thought he was the smartest guy in the room a lot. And, and I think, <laughs> I think his hubris got to him a little bit. And I think that's one of those areas, too. And, and look, uh, I wrote my column yesterday about Billy Napier. Uh, you know, I'm not, not saying he's not going to do well at Florida, but everybody thought the last two guys would do well, too. Jim McElwain and things started out well, and he had a bad year. One bad year and fell off. Dan Mullen, you know, had been to number one in the CFP with Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. State. Uh, had those good years of Florida. One, the, you know, things started to fall off at the end of 2020, kind of starting with the fog game against LSU, yeah. quite frankly. And, and, and then and one bad year and he gets fired. So um, the standard is very high at, at Florida. And if, if you're not getting the job done, they're going to go get somebody else because they're still trying to recapture those Steve Spurrier, Urban Meyer years at, at Florida. And it's not, uh, it's not automatic. I, I think Florida's a great, a great example that, you know, for anybody. Uh, LSU fans or, or Alabama fans or anybody that it's it's not a given that that you will uh, compete and be super successful um, just because of the name of your school. It, it it takes work. It takes the right guy, and they probably have the right guy. But you know, unless you're hiring Nick Saban or Urban Meyer <laughs> to come back, it's not a hundred percent slam dunk in my opinion. Wrapping up our conversation here with Baton Rouge. Advocate columnist Scott Rabelais. He joins us here on Radio Row for SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame. All right, bud. This whole thing, this whole event, you've covered a lot of them. It's evolved quickly in the last five years into something bigger, bigger and bigger. So much so that we're here in Atlanta for the second year, this time inside the College Football Hall of Fame. It's already been kind of uh, whispered about, talked about, you know, the, the best, uh, uh, well, the, the, the secret that everyone knows, so to speak, that we're going to Nashville next year. Is this event gotten to the point where it's outgrown Hoover and being in Alabama and it's going to be something like what the NFL does with the draft? I think it, I think it definitely could see some kind of rotation or, or continue to move it around. I, I do think it will always go back to the Birmingham area at some, some point. That's where the SEC headquarters is. If maybe not in, the, in Hoover at, at, the, at the Winfrey Hotel at the Galleria, then maybe you know the SEC headquarters is downtown. The Birmingham Convention Center and the basketball arena is is right across the street. They could have it there. Yeah, there's, there's some other place they could have it. I think they'll always go back there every second or third or year or something, something like that. But, yeah, it is, it is going to continue to move. They're going to move to Nashville, which, of course, has now become the permanent home of the, the men's basketball tournament. And, and so, Bridgestone you know, Arena. Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, you know. It's you know they're gonna have it at a new hotel right off of Broadway. This uh, they said they're gonna have some fan events and stuff like that, which we s- haven't seen too much of uh, here. No. Uh, but uh, I think it's gonna it's something they they want to turn to. It's a celebration of SEC football. You know, I don't know if you remember this. 
a few years back, they had this thing at the beach in Gulf Shores to kind of kick off the season. And it was when the SEC Network was first getting started. And they had a few coaches come. Les Miles was one of the ones who was invited. And I went to cover it and stuff like that. And, and, and it only lasted one year. But they were trying to get something to kind of start to kind of kick off, you know, like something kind of splashy to, to start the season. And uh, I think we're going to see that. I think they're going to – I think they'll definitely – when Texas and OU join the league, whether it's 2024 or 2025, that we're going to see – this event go somewhere in that mm-hmm. part of the world to kind of welcome those those schools into the SEC. So I think it's going to continue to move around. I think we'll see it in New Orleans one year probably. So oh, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Perhaps always appreciate you, Tom, great. brother. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That's Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Advocate joining us here on Radio Row. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, the executive director, the man in charge of the college football playoff, Bill Hancock, will be joining us. That's next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 may be in Atlanta, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear from you. Call the big, bald, beautiful one on The Game Hotline at 337-706-0111 or comment on our Facebook page. Back to the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame here in downtown Atlanta for SEC Media Days. And it's our privilege to welcome back to the program an old friend of ours, He is someone who's accomplished a slew. Let me tell you this, just a little resume here. He was the first full-time director of the NCAA Final Four. He was also the first executive director of the Bowl Championship Series, and he is the first executive director of the college football playoff. It's my privilege to welcome back to the show. Hancock, Mr. Hancock, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning. Good to see you. It was good to catch up off the air about our mutual friend, Mary Beth McDonald and her husband, what's his name? <laughs> uh, Donald, is it? Donald? Uh, Danny something? I feel like that. No, our buddy, our buddy. Uh, our, our buddy Dan. Our buddy, one of the better. It, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find two better people than Dan and Mary Beth. Every time I see Dan, he makes me happy. Right. That's just, that's just who he is. It's just his personality. He can't help it. Yep. He can't help it. Um, well, Mr. Hancock, let's uh, start. You know, I. Last time we talked was a few years ago at Media Days, and now that you guys got uh, even a a few more years underneath your belt when it comes to dealing with the playoff and putting it on, what have you and the rest of your staff learned about this process and where the future is for the college football playoff? People need to remember what we do is put on an event and culminating Correct. culminating the season, a little tiny uh, old event for college football. And it's an honor to be able to, to manage that event, to be entrusted with managing it. Uh, I love what we've done with uh, creating a celebration at the end of the season, uh, climactic Final Four, Super Bowl, kind of an event where everybody in the industry comes together and celebrates college football. Uh, This will be our ninth year of our 12-year contract for the event. Uh, The the contract is tied with television, of course, and we're very proud of what it's done. Uh, We're in Los Angeles this year, and next year, well, down to your neck of the woods, we'll be in Houston. Correct. Correct. You know, 
it, it's become a, a bit of a tradition for people on sports talk and fans to complain about the playoff. No, right? no, no. no. <laughs> and and I, I say, you know, but I always remind people of this, Mr. Hancock. I go, you guys complained about the BCS. And then before that, you complained about the poll system. I go, if you expand the playoff from four to six to eight to 12 to 62, someone's going to find something to complain <laughs> about no matter what happens. Uh, I got to ask you, though expansion it's been talked about it's been uh, bantied about i know uh, certain conferences would like to see it others are kind of on the fence um how difficult would it be though just from a logistics standpoint down the expand the playoff well first of all let me say that the conferences own the cfp and that's who i work for the 10 conferences and and notre dame uh the university presidents are our big board they would decide whether to expand the format or not. Uh, and then every daily, we work with the, the 10 conference commissioners. Right. So they got together, well, they got together back, uh, good grief, 28 years ago to create the BCS yes, 24 sir. years ago. <clears throat> and that was a great accomplishment. It, the BCS was a bowl pairings mechanism to make sure that you had good matchups in bowl games which as hard as it is to think about, there really didn't exist before then. And then 10 years ago, the conferences got together and said, hey, we are different. Let's have a college football playoff. So a great tribute to the leaders of the conferences for being able to get together and do what was best for the game. Uh, how hard would it be to change? Uh, it can be done, absolutely. We, we, we've proven it. We created a BCS and we created the college football playoff. Um, it's a matter of the conferences getting together and, and, and agreeing on what's best for the game while representing their own conferences. We're talking with executive director of the college football playoff, Bill Hancock, joins us here on RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. We live in a world now. It's drastically changed since the last time you and I had a conversation at Media Days a few years ago. NCAA transfer portal. NIL, it seems for a lot of folks that grew up with college football and grew up with listening to Keith Jackson call games and, you know, in, in regional rivalries and traditions and everything like that, it, for a lot of folks it's a little uh, overwhelming and it feels like the, the sands are shifting constantly in college football. As someone who's been part of the sport for so long, how does this feel from your perspective? If there's one thing certain, it's change. Uh, we've lived with change ever in, in all in all my career. I remember, uh, well, the conference membership has changed ever since college athletics has started. Yes. Uh, Oklahoma left Oklahoma State behind, Oklahoma A&M behind at the time, back in about 1927 to form the Big Six Conference. And now it means more today. It just means more. <laughs> and so I, I get that. Uh, do we miss Nebraska-Oklahoma playing on Thanksgiving? Yeah, but it's been replaced by LSU-Arkansas. Uh, are we going to miss whatever comes down the road? Yes, but it will be replaced by something equally good. So my thought is college football is so strong, it will stay strong. Everybody just kind of hold hands, chill out, and, and, and wait to see what really good things are ahead of us. Um, obviously, a certain amount of teams 
have, you know, done very well during the playoff era. Ohio, Ohio State, Alabama, obviously Oklahoma are, are in the mix. Clemson has been in the mix. Um, I guess my question to, to you is, yeah, look, you guys, you put together the playoff and the committee puts together that playoff system. You got you to pick the four best teams. That's how it works every year. It just so happens that some of these teams repeat and they're constantly in the mix, Georgia being another one of those. From your perspective, when someone complains about that, what do you tell them? The CFP format is not either the those teams have been getting in the CFP every year. There it is. They've been getting there because they have really good players. Yes. <laughs> and good coaches. Period. And coaches. Yes. Period. End of discussion. What's the one thing that you guys and kind of circle back? What's the one thing that you guys have, have kind of learned about this in entire process um, now that you've been doing it almost, uh, you know, uh, a decade? The committee process works. Bringing high-integrity football people together to choose the teams had never been done before. Right. And we kind of went out on a limb and said, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to have a journalist on there. Uh, we're going to have a university president, Melissa Rice. We're going to have coaches. We're going to have Tom Osborne, Barry Alvarez, and now Jim Grobe, um, R.C. Slocum. Nobody's ever tried that before, but we think it's going to work, and it does. So we've learned we have a great process. And, and of course, I, I, I know we've had the best four teams in the playoff every year. Uh, as far as the game itself, the champ, championship game, championship weekend, it's grown into a terrific event. Um, television viewership is extraordinary, second only to Super Bowl on television. Correct. We have a great event. Our challenge is, is keep going. We can bring more people into college football. Uh, I'd like to have more fans from the Northeast. I'd probably like us to do a little better demographically among Hispanics, uh, but we can. There's room for growth, and I'm very optimistic about the future of the college football playoff. And I'd like to point to one of your earlier points, Mr. Hancock, is you know, I remember a, a, a time not that long ago where computers were helping decide similar, you know, situations with BCS. Now we actually have football people and intelligent people and coaches and former players figuring out to put together the best four. It's a lot better this way. But I remember when that happened, oh, what do you mean? We're getting ready. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was that. And then also the addition of having the championship game being separate from one of the bowls. When you guys made that decision, that was under your leadership as well. People were like, whoa, what, what, what do you mean the, the Sugar Bowl is not going to be the national title game? Or what the road? Yeah, it's going to be fine, and it's paid off dividends. Before I let you go, our friend, our mutual friend, uh, that fellow named Donald that we were talking about, Mr. Dan McDonald, said um, that I have to ask you about you and his experiences in Seoul at the Olympics. <laughs> Dan and I got to know each other, what was that, 34 years ago at the Seoul Olympics. We were roommates. We lived in a high-rise apartment called Family Town. Uh, we got to know the Korean people. They loved us. They loved Dan McDonald, of course. They kept asking him to talk because they loved his accent. He's got that North Louisiana accent. He's got that North yeah. Louisiana accent. Some of the hardest people I've ever known. One of the and, and name someone who doesn't like Dan McDonald. You, you can't do it. You can't do but it. But that was 1988. Dan and I were together for over three weeks uh, in Seoul. There's nothing like uh, international travel for growth and nothing like international travel um, uh, 
to be with someone in a work situation like that. Uh, they're, they're your friends for life, and that's what happened to Dan McDonald and me. Mr. Hancock, appreciate your time, as always. Hey, Keep great. up the tremendous work with the college football playoff. That's the executive director of the college football playoff, Mr. Bill Hancock, joining us here on RP3 and Company. we got to take a timeout, but more coming up live from Radio Row here inside the College Football Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. July 22nd, 1967. The Atlanta Braves establish an MLB record for number of pitchers called upon in one inning. Five used in the ninth inning of a 5-4 loss to St. Louis. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They are the South's, just not Louisiana, but the South's largest culture marble factory. And they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and bathrooms. They can also take your outdoor living space and your man cave to another level to help your home be the envy of the neighborhood during game days this fall. Visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Final interview of the week and you know what i i asked this guy like three weeks ago bud i need someone to close out our media days coverage from atlanta and he said are you sure no he said not a problem our friend from saturday down south one of the best college football experts in the country connor O'Gara sits next to me now on radio row inside the college football hall of fame good morning bud how you doing Gentlemen, uh, it's good to be here. It's really good to be here. I, I feel like I am running on fumes a little bit. I don't want to <laughs> say that I'm playing hurt. I'm not playing hurt. You know, we're, we're good to go. But day four of SEC Media Days, this is when the true warriors show that they are built for this. And I'd like to think that I am built for this. So I, I'm not going to say I'm anything less than 100%. <laughs> no, I mean, did you maybe spend a little too much time down at the hotel bar? No, actually, you know what? You know what? I, you know, we got we got the coffee. We got the coffee. <laughs> I did not spend too much time. I was out before midnight, and that's discipline right there. Right. Okay, there not every, go, not bud. everybody. I'm not going to name names, but if I went around, I could tell you who exactly, who exactly had a good time <laughs> last night at the hotel bar. So that leads me to my first and my most important question, brother. Is, um. The last time you had a big event, uh, is that what Adam Spencer did? And that is that why he's not here in Atlanta with you and the rest no. of the Saturday Down South team? No, Adam Spencer, uh, shout out to him. <laughs> who just does Adam does like a million things he for, does, for Saturday Down South. He it's does. A, it is truly incredible. He does our newsletter. He leads all of our basketball coverage. He leads our news team. He writes about football stuff. Adam is like the ultimate Swiss Army knife. He's incredible. But Adam actually lives in, in the San Francisco area. So That's for, right. So for him to get down to SEC media oh, days man, is that'd a little be bit an difficult. absolute, an absolute bear. So yeah, he uh, he's he's not here. We actually we kind of like 
we, we, we pare it down a little bit. We have uh, my guy Chris Marlers here as well. Um, but, yeah, we, we used to send, like, probably, like, six, seven guys to, to SEC Media Days, and we've kind of decided, hey, you know, let's, let's have a smaller team. Everybody can kind of divide and conquer. That's right. That's right. Just had to get rid of you a little bit there. So we're fourth day, final day of Media Days. What's the big thing that has stood out to you? Is there a theme that you've noticed with the coaches and the players? Is there something that truly stands out that goes, hey, this is something that I need to pay attention to this week? NIL is so off the rails that we have coaches campaigning for more rules. When yeah. in the history, <laughs> think about this, think about this. When in the history of college football have we had coaches unanimously bang the drum for more rules? I mean, it, it is unprecedented. It truly is. But it seems like everybody's kind of in the same place. Everybody wants to know what's legal versus what's not. Okay? These are coaches who thrive on control. They don't feel like they have control of these situations, these situations in which they have to go into living rooms and it's a bidding war. They don't necessarily like that. And what is NIL and what's pay for play? The lines have been blurred mm -hmm. this first year in this system, and somewhat predictably so. I think seeing the way that coaches have reacted to this, and look, admitting that they're kind of helpless. They really are. They don't have a lot of control. They can come up here and talk about we need this change, we need this change, we need this change, but until Congress steps in or until college football, FBS, breaks away from the NCAA and has a new enforcement agency, this isn't going to change anytime soon. It's not like the NCAA is going to snap its fingers and start enforcing their own rules. That ship has sailed. So I do think that there's a lot to, to be to be learned from kind of this entire first year of NIL, but it does feel like all these coaches are at a very frustrating place with the system. You know, and, and you heard Kirby Smart yesterday. We heard Kirby Smart yesterday talk about NIL is helping. He's got players, you know, he, he mentioned a number. It's like, what, 75 of his guys? That was 95. It was 95. 95 have NIL deals. I was like, whoa. I believe it. And, and, and it makes a lot of sense, but sometimes those are helping kids out. He mentioned one of his players. His dad is on dialysis, so they're yeah. using that NIL money to assist with that. Um, would you make of what you heard from uh, Saban? It seemed, I don't know, a little reserved, right? Or, or, or am I kind of reading that wrong? Isn't it amazing that he didn't get asked a, a single Jimbo question? That was the non-question to me was fascinating. That's the respect that he has in that room having done what? I mean, I guess we got to exclude 2020, but he's done this. Oh, 14 times. Oh, 15, 15 times at Alabama yeah. if we're excluding 2020, and then he's done it at LSU. That's the respect that he has in that room. And, look, we weren't going to get a war of words again. That, that, that kind of was – put to bed in Destin and they pretty much said we're moving past it I as Saban would say I, I thought the most interesting thing that he actually did say was related to the negative recruiting and he said he's he didn't say I don't think he said it in the main room I think he said it in the other the other media room but he was talking about how it's it's strange how other coaches know that he's going to retire they, they say that he's going to retire it's like well Look, when you're on the other side of 70, I, I mean, everybody gets that. Imagine how many years Bill Snyder had to deal with negative recruiting of people saying he was going to retire, Joe Paterno dealing with that. It'd be kind of weird if you didn't have all these coaches saying that you were going to retire the second you are 70 years old. And Saban's been dealing with that for a long time. But, you know, it just goes to show you, even the GOAT, man, he, he, can, he can sometimes get a little bit riled up about things that are said about him. 
We're talking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. He joins us here on Radio Row for SEC Media Days inside the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Billy Napier, give me your thoughts uh, about what he had to say. Uh, he got a, kind of emotional. You tried to uh, oh, make, make him feel a little bit better oh. with, 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 your, with your question. But, um, Instant regret. Authentic for sure. Uh, you can also tell there's Saban there, right, with yeah. how, how he words things. Uh, what do you make of how Napier did uh, yesterday, and what kind of fit do you think he can be in Gainesville? Billy Napier does not seem like a Florida football head coach. And I, I mean that in, a, in actually like a, a positive way. And I was just talking to my editor about this, Chris Wright, who brought up a really good point. Billy Napier was extremely complimentary of Kirby Smart, and apparently they have a little bit of a bromance, which is weird. I mean, it was so happy for him to win a national championship. And think about if Spurrier was saying that about a Georgia football head coach. I mean, think, yeah. think about that. You would not see that. The genuine emotion that we saw from Billy Napier when asked about his dad who coached through illness, his dad died of Lou Gehrig's disease, and seeing how choked up he kind of got. Billy Napier is well on his way to establishing himself as one of the most authentic coaches in college football. And you guys have seen it up close for a while, but it's a little bit different when you get to the Power 5 level and you get in front of a media mass like this. I think that he comes off extremely genuine. Has he had a couple of missteps, in my opinion? Yeah, I thought the open letter after the recruiting stuff was weird. I just did. I, I thought that was a, a very strange move for a, a, a premier program head coach to make. Having said that, I find myself believing in Billy Napier and the sense of calm that he brings. Obviously, a lot of things are going to determine whether or not he's going to be a success. He's got to be able to develop the quarterback position. He's got to be able to cut down Anthony Richardson's mistakes. He's got to be able to recruit in the state of Florida, establish those relationships at St. Thomas Aquinas, establish those relationships at IMG Academy, the things that Dan Mullen couldn't do. But it's not just as simple as saying he has to do the opposite of what Dan Mullen what Dan Mullen did, but I do find myself being more and more of a Billy Napier believer, and he has this sense of calm that, dare I say, could just allow him to prevail and stay at Florida longer than six years, which no coach has done in the post-Burger era. He's not high-strung, right? He doesn't have an, uh, an over-the-top personality, so I think that's going to help him. Like, you know, McIlwain was a little high-strung in that, Super. Th right? And, and, and Florida's a tough place to be if you're high-strung. Mullen was high strung. Mullen by the was end high of strung. It. Yeah. Billy also has the Saban process, and he's just a little bit more down to earth. I think Florida fans are going to, it's going to take a while to adjust. Yeah. And they're a bit of an impatient bunch, as most SEC fan bases are, to be fair to the Florida fans. But if they wait it out, if they That's give him the time, question. Billy will do it the right way. So my editor brought up this point as well, and it's a comp I would have never made, but the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like, huh, that's really interesting. Tony Dungy, mindset, temperament, the yeah. way that he kind of addresses players. Won't Tony, Dame, Tony Dungy famously would not yell at players. He wasn't going to curse at players. He wasn't a, a big rah-rah guy but has a very genuine way about him where you don't feel like he's necessarily selling anything to you. And that's, that's hard, man. Like, think of how many coaches that we listen to get up at the podium, and it just kind of feels like they're selling something to you. It's very hard to come off as authentic as, as Billy Napier does, as Sam Pittman does. Sam Pitt, I was going to mention, mention Pittman is another one that I could see. Like, I listened to him yesterday, Connor. I was like, 
I'd go play for him. Yeah, like, I can for see sure. why. And look, I love Shane Beamer. I love Eli yeah. Drinkwitz. Even they kind of sometimes come off like they're they're selling you on something, and they and they have to. And and some coaches realize, look, this is how you kind of got to play this. This is the way that this works. But Billy Napier, in my opinion, comes off really genuine. Does being a genuine human being guarantee you long term success in the SEC? No, yeah, no. it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. But at the same time, I think he's setting a good foundation for what Florida needs to become. All right, we'll wrap it up with this, bud. Final day here. Obviously, we've already heard from Auburn's head coach and battled head coach, but he came out with a strong statement earlier while yeah. we were on the air. What did you make of what he had to say, and what do you think we're going to hear or not hear from Jimbo Fisher later today? Tip of the cap from Brian to Brian Harson for addressing what happened in February and saying so directly it didn't work. The coup did not work. That that was a an admission that I did not think that we would get from Brian Harson in his opening statement. I, I respect the way that he has handled all of this. Do I think that he is the world's best head coach? No, I don't. And do I think that his quarterback situation is one that should keep him up at night if considering his seat is very, very hot? Yes. Yes, I do. But I respect the way that he's gone about it. Jimbo Fisher, I don't think is going to have the most comfortable SEC media days. And <sighs> it was going to be weird already with the Nick Saban stuff. He's probably going to be asked about that in a way that Nick Saban wasn't, which is interesting. But now with the Anaya Smith thing, man, to have one of your player representatives have the trifecta uh, right before he was supposed to be here, man, that's that's tough. Jimbo's going to have a very interesting, very fast-paced experience probably at SEC Media Days. I would expect whoever is transcribing his press conference to, to be sweating because it's going to be unbelievable. He's probably going to be firing off like a thousand words a minute with the speed that he's going to be going at trying to get through everything and not let anything trip him up. Second starting wide receiver, star wide receiver that they've had to part ways with this offseason at A&M. This one hurts even more because he was a, uh, a senior. He's well, he's got, suspended, right? Like he's he's he's, just, he's suspended indefinitely, yeah. right? Yeah. So he could come back. But how much for a wide receiving core that was already thin to begin with? Yeah. And questions about quarterback play. How much does this impact, in your opinion, now if he is suspended for the season? Oh, it's huge. How, how much does this impact how you would rank where A and M could finish? Because a lot of people said they could be the second best team in the West. I think they're third. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're third, and I, I would have said that before the Anaya Smith development, but they don't have another receiver on that team who caught more than 20 passes last year, so Ooh. that that is that is troubling. For an SEC, uh, for a passing game that ranked 12th in the SEC, I, I think that A&M is a team that doesn't have that margin for error. They, they just don't. They need to make life easier on their quarterback, whether that's Hank, Haynes King or whether that's Max Johnson, and Anaya Smith was supposed to be this safety blanket, and instead now, and they have a tough September. I mean, they got Miami, they've got Arkansas, those are two games that they could lose. And to now be in this situation, it doesn't mean Jimbo Fisher's on the hot seat, but it certainly makes this A&M season feel like it's heading in the direction of another eight and four year. Brother, I know you're busy. Appreciate you making the time, helping us close things out. I think we did that a couple years ago in Hoover. <laughs> uh, and, and anytime there's a big-time event that I attend for college football, this man is in attendance. <laughs> Peach Bowl, national semifinals, everything. Appreciate your time, bud. Love it. Anytime, man. That's Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joining us here on Radio Row. We will close things out after this final timeout here on RP3 and Company. We'll update the poll question of the day. I asked you, hey, I've already ate at the Chick-fil-A numerous times this week, so much so that my wife texted me and said, you know you can go eat somewhere else. And I said, yeah, but 
should I go eat at the Chick-fil-A that's connected to the College Football Hall of Fame yet again today before I leave town? That's the poll question of the day. Get those votes in. We'll give you the results in the comments. That's coming up next as we close out shopping. Get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes right here on Radio Row inside the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Days. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to head back out to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta for the morning show that just means more. Here is the SEC Media Days edition of RP3 and Company, presented by Bordelon Furniture and Acadiana Bar and Grill. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the road trips continue next week. That's right, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is taking over the big easy for Sunbelt Media Days. That's right, it's not one day, it's two days this year. Tune in Tuesday and Wednesday of next week as RP3 and Company. Footnotes with Kevin Foote and Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from New Orleans for the games, live from Sunbelt Media Day coverage presented by Next Home Cutting Edge Realty and The Wetlands. Tune in for the takeover of the Big Easy right here on the Game Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest today for RP3 and company, Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Senior Bowl, famed coach David Cutcliffe, Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Advocate, Bill Hancock, College Football Playoff Executive Director, and, of course, our buddy from Saturday Down South, Connor O'Gara. Poll question of the day. Should RP3 eat at the Chick-fil-A connected to the Hall of Fame one more time? 69% of you say yes, it's right there. 22% say no, try something else. That's what my wife would say. And 9% say yes, only with a gift card. Brad says he doesn't like Chick-fil-A. What? But if you do, then you might as well. John Paul Cajun Daddy says the only thing better than Chick-fil-A is free Chick-fil-A. Yes. Robert says, if you haven't tried the grilled nuggets, you need to try them. I can eat three dozen. And Robert also says, why not? Who doesn't want more Chick-fil-A? And then Ralph Bergeron has gave us a recommendation for a local joint. So maybe we'll try that out instead. I want to thank everyone for making this happen, including our sponsors, Borderline Furniture with locations in Crowley, Jennings, and Marksville. They have the power recliner on sale this month for $699. They're also your lift chair superstore and your local Tempur-Pedic dealer. want to thank them for serving as the title sponsor of our coverage and also Acadiana Bar and Grill for sponsoring RP3 and Company. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch, the third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, but back in the studio with guest host Nick Fontenot. I'll jump on to recap SEC Media Days with Nick. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.